Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we kick off the 2022 HR Works podcast season with a conversation all about the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. We're joined by Amy Hall, Director and Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Paycor, a leading HR software provider and global leader in human capital management. As her title suggests, Amy is an expert in all things DE&I and has previously been featured on HR Daily Advisor as part of the Faces of HR Profile series. We were excited to reconnect with Amy before heading into the holiday season, and she was kind enough to share her predictions for the growth of diversity, equity, and inclusion in 2022. Amy even shared one thing HR professionals should start doing and stop doing as they head into the new year. Let's check out the episode and hear what Amy had to say. Amy, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. All right. We're happy to have you. So we're running this episode in early 22, and we're going to really have this conversation about what... HR professionals in our audience can do in the coming year to really drive diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. But before we jump into that conversation, I really just want to know more about you and your path to a career as a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. So can you share some of your background and really how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. I came from a family that was fairly non-traditional, so to speak. My parents were 20 years apart in age. My dad was born right before World War II. And my mom was born right before the civil rights movement started. So I had two parents that were very passionate about social justice and changing things uh, as they were for people who didn't have, uh, for lack of a better way to say that. So improving access has just always been a part of my upbringing. When I started uh, working, I was an educational professional. So I was a teacher and high school administrator for 17 years prior to entering into the corporate world uh, as recently as what everyone calls the COVID year. So in 2020, I was still an assistant principal for the entire first quarter of that school year when we returned back to the building. My journey in DE&I started a while ago, but even as a college student, I was a part of a group called, it was a minority recruiting society for, for minority students on, on campus. It was a PWI or predominantly white institution is what those are known as uh, in the college and university world. And so I started really doing the work a long time ago, but always in different areas. Uh, when I was at an educator, I was in four or five very different buildings, both as a teacher and then as an administrator, and learning about a lot of different kinds of populations. So one school was was one of the first Montessori high schools in the region. So there was a very different population of students there. And then I was at um, a school that was very, very diverse. You know, I called it, it was like mini New York, lots of different socioeconomics, lots of different um, ethnicities, genders, all of the above, LGBTQ+, all of the things. And then when I, when I became an administrator, I was at one of the, it was considered to be a 90-90-90 school. Um, and so what that means is 90% economically disadvantaged, 90% uh, African-American or people of color, and then 90% uh, ha- struggling with academics. That was learning how to navigate 
uh, lack of access in all ways, healthcare, uh, access to education, access to food. Uh, it was a food desert. Um, so learning about all of that and building resource center there. And then I was at a school that was, <laughs> had a very large English as a second language population. And so I got to learn a lot about the global community through the students and the, and the families there. When it really took off was when I moved out into a school, it was in a suburban area, and um, the history of the district was largely white. It was like a historically 95% white community, and in the last 15 to 20 years has just boomed because of the uh, businesses that landed there turned the community global. And so now there's 70, 75 languages spoken in this district, and it just changed the whole slate of the student body and the community. And there hadn't yet been a lot done uh, in terms of focusing on inclusion and belonging and diversity in that district. And so I, when I landed there, I helped to start um, actionable change um, and trainings and we uh, built a strategic plan and I, I contributed to that. When I started doing that, I was like, this is clearly what I should just be doing. <laughs> it shouldn't be the thing. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be the thing that I'm doing while I'm an assistant principal. It should just be the thing that I'm doing. So I started my own uh, consulting firm in 2019 for DEI and leadership development. And then um, it led me to PayCore. And I was hired as PayCore's first, at the time, manager of DEI and have since um, elevated to director just recently, but uh, still doing the same work uh, and, and really excited about it. That's a, a really impressive path. And I always love hearing people's origin stories, right? Of how did you come to find your position, find your passion? Uh, and we all have our different paths. So that, that one's really unique. And it's, it's funny, you're still in people operations. You were just originally in maybe younger people operations. Correct. Yeah. I actually had a chance to go back to the school just recently and ran into someone and she asked, you know, how, how different is it? And I said, honestly, I feel like I just repeated 2018 because, <laughs> because everything I pretty much did that first year of laying the foundation of the work was so similar to what I was doing with the teachers and the students a few years back. That's great. Well, thank you again for sharing that. All right, let's dig in. As I mentioned, we're kicking off 2022, and this is a great moment to stop and take a look to see, okay, where can we go and how can we continue to grow and move forward? Um, and looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion is a great way for 2022. So can you explain what the business need is for diversity, equity, and inclusion and why that may be stronger than ever going into the new year? Yeah. So one of the things that has definitely changed is the need to have a business case for DEI. There was an article that came out about scrapping your business case for DEI. If we're still explaining why we need DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in a workplace in 2022, that's your number one problem. <laughs> you know, like if you're trying to figure out what are the issues we need to solve in our business and you're still asking people to describe why it's necessary, start there uh, would be my first piece of advice. Uh, that we shouldn't have to explain the need for it any longer. So I would say the trends in 2022 is that that's no longer necessary. Uh, one of the, the things moving forward, why is it stronger than ever? because we've moved past learning. We've moved past like basic compliance training. 
where your diversity training is linked to all of the rules and regulations for harassment. Now we are separating that out and saying, listen, this isn't a compliance thing. This is something that you should be doing, yes, but you should be taking it way further than that. So uh, trends in 2022, it's no longer just about learning. Now it's about actionable steps and changing systems, processes, adding in ways to increase inclusion. Um, Another reason it's stronger than ever is because the Wall Street and uh, you know, NASDAQ and all of the governmental regulations for businesses that are public have united and said, listen, this is also no longer going to be okay for your boards, for your C-suites, and, and there are requirements in place for 2223. So I would say another much stronger reason that this will become more important is because it's going to be mandated that companies and and businesses are following these guidelines and regulations, which they should be doing anyway, but, you know, need a nudge, which is under, this is fine. But I would say that that is one reason that it is definitely going to be a stronger force in, D, in, in this coming year, because people are going to need more information around what that looks like. What should we be doing? And there's a lot of people that don't have that training that will need to have people around that can help them out with that. The other reason I think it's going to be stronger than ever is talent demands. Uh, we are you know, facing this great resignation that is going on right now. And if you aren't building an inclusive workplace, the generations that are coming into the workforce, the younger generations, they're interviewing you. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need you. Uh, anymore. And and so we're looking at increased demand in starting salaries and increase in battling attrition and really, really heavy focus on the retention of employees. Those are going to be some big, big things that are coming down the line for HR in 2022, for sure. That's some great insight. Thank you for that. So yeah, I mean, you're right. The tables have turned in terms of recruiting and hiring. It is absolutely more of an interview of the of the workplace and of the employer. Uh, than ever before. So what can HR leaders do to shift their approach in diversity hiring for 2022? Yeah. So back in the day, not too long ago, we used to talk about culture fit. We used to say, oh, well, we want to hire someone who fits into our culture. That is like now, you know, the buzzing red light, um, like warning, we we don't want that any longer. Now we're moving to hire for culture ad versus culture fit. So what what can you do? Start hiring for culture ad. Uh, What that means is thinking outside of the box about how that person can not just, you know, fit into your culture, which is essentially saying we want you to conform to the way that we we do work, which is really almost like finding a yes man, you know, like you're just going out finding a whole bunch of people who are like you. We want culture ad in 2022 because we want to build diversity. We want to add to the diversity of thought. So I think there's a misconception that when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we're only discussing race or ethnicity, or we're only discussing gender. We're only talking about LGBTQ+. That is, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, there are people who bring diversity of thought and could be, for example, a young white male. Um, I just heard Congressman Joyce Beatty talking about this at a diversity symposium event. And she said, you know, sometimes when I say that people, 
you know, kind of make a funny face, like, what, aren't we talking about DE&I here? And her example is spot on, which is how many people do you see on boards that are young, period? Whether they're young and white or young and people of color or young, they're usually people who have all of this experience. And so we have to also start thinking about how we hire and what that looks like for your business specifically. There's one business that might be, you know, maybe they're super diverse, but everyone is of one generation level. Uh, or maybe you have a company, and, and I mean ethnically diverse when I said that before, or maybe you have a company that is solid, you know, split right down the middle, 50-50, women, men, um, or people that identify as female and male. But then you don't have a large population of people from Hispanic culture uh, or Latinx. So it's really a matter of, I would say in 2022, you're shifting to culture ad at the same time, you're also looking at your company and making it relevant to you. There is not a cookie cutter way to get this work done. So when you're out there and you see one company saying, oh, our diversity efforts have exploded, we've you know moved the needle and we're doing all these things, you're not going to be able to copy what they did because that's their company. It's just like, you know, if you're a parent out there and you have kids, what you say to one kid is not going to work for the next kid. It's just not. Uh, so you, you have to tailor your thoughts and ideas around and, and really dig into what is it, what are the gaps in your specific company and make it relevant uh, for you. Uh, the only other thing I would say um, for 2022 to start doing um, I wrote down on my paper, inclusion is the word of the day. Um, get help, get help uh, from software companies, uh, do your DEI analytics, get that information and then use it properly. Don't just stop there. That's no different than compliance training. Uh, you know, you can find out what your, what the demographics of your company are. You can find out the information and then people usually just go, oh, that's nice. And then they just stare at it like a Mona Lisa painting. You need to actually do something with it which involves actionable work. So if you're doing those three things, you're, on, you're, you're moving in the right direction in 2022. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, to harken back with what you were originally saying, instead of talking the talk, you got to walk the walk in 22 and, and actually put some action behind it. And, and I do like that thought too of building an evolving culture and understanding that it can't just fit down the path of matching to what your culture and what your vision is. It, it's continually evolving and building and, and adapting to that. Yeah, and it will change. You know, that those things are going to change over time. And accepting that too that it's it's going to shift and change. Absolutely. So you have to be able to build something that is almost timeless and really meets the needs of the company at any given point in time. How does that, and, and this one's going a bit off book of even my script of questions, but it raises a great point. How does that work in conjunction with maybe having a mission statement that you're working toward for the company, but also having that understanding of, of evolving and kind of riding the wave of how your company is becoming diverse? Yeah. Anytime you're committing your mission, your uh, if you have a diversity policy, if you have a mission statement for the company unrelated to diversity, if you're using humanity as the central point, then that is the timeless way to address DEI. Um, if you're saying our work is simply to make sure that humanity is valued to exist, just period, humanity. Right. Then, then you're already working towards DEI with that, with that, and and it can fall in any category, right? Because you may have a person who has a, a disability that is invisible, 
that we don't see. And those disabilities may increase. But if you're acting with humanity inside of your business, then you're thinking about that person. Um, that population may rise. You know, we've, we've had a lot of a huge increase in mental health concerns over the last two years as a result of the pandemic. That is a section of the population that we were not thinking about three years ago. So, but if your mission statement involves humanity, then you're focused on hitting that population now. So I think it just, it's just a matter of making sure that whatever words you use, you're doing so with intent, uh, that you're intentional uh, and focused so that it does remain timeless, no matter what population shift uh, priorities become. That's great. That's a great way to boil that down too. And, and really kind of bring it down to its simplest form, right, of humanity. So one thing off of that, and thinking about mission statements and the larger organizational goal, um, we're seeing also a rise in importance of ESG being valued up at the corporate level, yeah. right? So what can executives at the organizational level do to really drive their DE&I efforts and strategies in 2022? When you think about strategy and ESG, well, I, I would say the first thing is don't lie. <laughs> in your ESG documents. Uh, don't embellish too much. <laughs> uh, but the, the second part of that is be fully transparent. If you are at the beginning of your DEI journey, or if you're a company who is literally only thinking about this because it's in your ESG requirements, great. But start thinking about how can we make this work um, for us on a long-term basis. What does that look like? When you're building your strategy, you know, I've said before, relevant to the company. So in the, you know, when you're going through building DEI for whatever company you work for, it's beyond the numbers. We're not just talking about, we're not walking in the door and saying it's it's not a quota. Um, you know, we're not going in and saying, oh, we only have this many. Now we need this more, this many more to hit the mark and then we'll tap out. That is not a good approach. Um, it, it is very easy to see through that. And the people that you're hiring, it will be your golden revolving door and they will leave. And you will then just be on this big rotational access trying to figure out how to diversify your company. If you're only thinking about numbers, I often use the example of um, a house that the, when the foundation isn't done, uh, you would not move people into a home and the foundation was not yet solid. Uh, that, that would likely not be safe. It's no different for that than it is for DE&I. If you are wanting to diversify your business and make diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging a priority, the numbers can't be your number one move. <laughs> if you don't have supports in place, if you don't have foundational knowledge around it company-wide, it's worthless. It's not going to last. So transparency is key, as well as making sure that you are holding yourselves accountable in the right way. Build measurable, actionable items that will manifest and continue to grow. There's several different ways to do that. You can start with the learning, but instead of making a compliance training, start bringing in more meaningful opportunities for people to learn. Bring stories into it. Start talking about your own, be vulnerable. Talk about your own experiences. If you don't have a lot of information or you never, like most of us went to school and didn't learn all about the history of every population that exists in America, like that's pretty much standard, then Maybe you have an event that is a panel 
that is a panel of people who are from those populations or historians or whatever that looks like, and you start the conversation that way. But the most important thing is to keep moving in a space of action. So when you're building strategy, when you're talking about ESG and corporations and boards that are trying to make these decisions, I would definitely say the priority is yes, hire someone who can help you do that. Uh, someone who has experience or the ability to turn that into an actionable strategic plan, but then also don't make that your only hire because that's another mistake. You wouldn't hire a CHRO and say, go run this whole department by yourself. Yeah, that probably wouldn't work out well for you either, right? Because you're talking about every single aspect of the employee life cycle. That's no different for a DEI leader. Uh, DEI leaders are in every aspect of the business, benefits and comp, uh, sales and marketing. I mean, here I am on this conversation, right? Uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> they're they're in you know learning and development. You're you're literally in every aspect of the business. So if you wouldn't expect a CHR to do it alone, then we got to stop expecting DEI leaders to do it alone. So just looking at the corporate level and kind of top down, what can employees do to drive the initiatives? Right. So go. Let's go the other direction. And how do you encourage employee-led DEI initiatives? Yes. Yeah, so employee voice is everything. The reason that employees bring initiatives to you is because it's likely something that's not happening that you don't know about because you're not in their space. So uh, it's really important for us to encourage people and employees to bring initiatives to you because likely, again, it's something that it's probably a blind spot of yours. And if your employees are telling you this, you should probably fix it. It should probably be something that you're really paying attention to. And it might lead to permanent change. Um, you know, there, there are several examples out there of things that occurred where employees brought it to a leader or whatever, and they listened and they sponsored them, they pulled them up and it ended up changing the face of the company. I mean, I'm sure there are several examples out there of that. So employee-led initiatives also empowers them. It makes them, it increases those feelings of belonging and inclusion inside of the company. It allows, it's an example of, for other employees to see, hey, oh, I, I, you know, psychological safety, like now I'm safe to be able to bring my ideas forward. And it increases all of those diversity of thought and innovation and creativity that just the opportunities are endless when you allow employees to take leadership or when you allow them to come to the table with ideas and, and innovations for the company. That's, I mean, that's that idea of vulnerability which you mentioned earlier. And I think that's been the one thing that we've grown with since 2020 kicked in, yeah. right? And we've all moved to working from home yeah. and where we've become a little bit more vulnerable and open to each other and and I think encourage more of that, right? From all levels, from mm -hmm. up at the executive suite to working their first job out of college and understanding yeah. that you can just bring your full self. Yeah. I think creating that environment is so crucial. Let's be real. Everyone who is working is passionate about more things than just their job. You know, I, I'm passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, but I have a really strong love of music. So I'm really passionate about that. Maybe there's some type of way to mix the two. You know, I, I think it's also important to remember that HR leaders, board member, anyone, any leader should also be supporting the passion areas that are of interest to their employees as well, because it, it doesn't always have to be something that feeds back into the business directly. 
It could also be something that's just passionate because of what that does is shows the employee, oh, they don't just care about me here. They also care about me outside of work. And those are the reasons that people stay. Those are the reasons that people stay in their businesses. They don't stay because they're like, oh, yay, I'm, I'm getting all of this productivity and levels of engagement are high. Woo woo. You know, like they're staying because, you know, my boss actually listened to me when I said I had, you know, I was performing in the opera in the community last week, you know, like that meant a lot to me or they showed up, you know, they came. Those are the things that make people stay in their jobs that make them want to work for companies is they're thinking about them as a whole person outside of work, not just inside of work. Conversely, I mean, that seems to be part of what led to the great resignation. That's <laughs> right. I mean, it's one of the factors. There's, there's a lot obviously that went into right. that, but having that, that appreciation and feeling like you're valued certainly is, has contributed to that, or at least made a lot of people kind of rethink and say, okay, well, where, where can I feel like I'm appreciated? Yeah. Like, am I doing what I'm passionate about? Yeah. They, you start questioning it when you have time to think, right? That's, I think that's one of the things that led to it, but also, you know, some of this is generational too. As we've come up, there's more opportunities for young people to start their own businesses and pursue their passions and create it for themselves. Whereas, you know, 40 years ago, it was trying to find a business that matched you rather than going to start your own. I mean, I, I just read the other day about a 13-year-old girl who just started her own hair salon for kids. Incredible. Brilliant. I mean, who's doing that? Nobody. She is now and about to make a whole bunch of money. So it's just like, they don't, they're not going to wait. <laughs> they're right. not going to wait for all of us to figure it out. So what we have to do is adjust to that and figure out how can we create space for people to pursue passion areas and allow them to do those things, you know, whether that's an employee resource group a club or whatever you want to call it um, so that we don't lose them uh, in, inside of the work that we're doing or that we encourage, encourage that in some way. That's so great. So do you see anything else coming for 2022 that you're excited about in the people operation space? That I'm excited about. Well, one is for sure opportunities for DEI leadership positions is going to continue to grow. I think exponentially as it has already Obviously, we know the events of 2020 uh, sparked, it, it lit the match um, for, for that to begin. I think it's going to take off much, much more in 2022. And I'm excited about that because like I said, it should not be the work of one sole person. Uh, it should definitely be a team-based environment. Um, so I'm excited to see that. I have a feeling that that will happen. I hope, I hope that that there's a shift in thinking around why DEI is important. Will that happen next year? I'm not sure, but I hope that with this, um, you know, hiring of more DEI leaders, that that will be something that will happen. I will say I'm excited to see more inclusive and expansive changes to benefits and comp. That's going to take off like wildfire next year because so many businesses are not going back to the office. And so many businesses are focusing on diversification in multiple ways. Employees now are becoming more vocal about, hey, like that's nice, but I also need you to consider the fact that 
just because I didn't actually have the baby doesn't mean I don't need to be present with my significant other for the baby, you know, like expanding uh, paternal rights, for example, um, increasing levels of compensation in various areas. Uh, I, I see that definitely being a hot ticket item, uh, more inclusive benefits options, more flexibility in work schedules, um, you know, that whole clock in and clock out situation. I think we can pretty much tap out goodbye on that for most jobs. I'm not going to say all because there are definitely, you know, people that are still in office uh, or in factory, you know, if that's the case, manufacturing, you know, what, hospital, healthcare, all of those types of restaurants where people have to be. And I get that, but they also too are asking for more flexibility uh, as a result of maybe, maybe their house is a hybrid work environment, you know, things like that. Uh, and then I, you know, outside of that, I would say, um, you know, this remote work situation is, is going to continue to become more mainstream and there's going to be probably a shift in thinking for companies who are not allowing that. Uh, there are some people who have said carte blanche, we're going back and you're going to see a mass exodus from people who make those types of decisions. So I would say that that, that is something that um, will definitely trend uh, and, and be hot and exciting in 2022 as well. It's figuring out how, how to navigate those environments. We're all still learning. So we'll all certainly be uh, actively paying attention to this one. So I kicked off our call talking about how we all have different paths in our careers and different things that have brought us to where we are today. What's one piece of advice, professional advice, life advice that you've received along the way that you'd be willing to share with our audience? Life advice. I've had a lot of really good life advice, uh, but I would say one that really served me well in my professional life it was when I was still in education and in that frustrating period when you know you want to do something different and it's burning inside of you, like, you know, like, this is where I'm supposed to go, but you haven't figured out what that direction is yet. You don't know what the next step is or you don't. So I was in this space and um, I had a mentor say to me, it's not the first choice. It's the second one that makes the most difference. Or it's not the first hire, it's the second job you take that is going to dictate the direction of your career. That has been one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. Because it's true, how many of us can necessarily control our first anything? <laughs> like you, you're, my first, for example, in, in the educational profession, when I worked in a public school system, my first teaching job I was just like, please, God, let me, just somebody hire me. You know, like it wasn't, I wasn't thinking about, you know, anything else except I just want to get hired. I want to be a teacher and I don't want to see a pink slip at the end of the year. You know, it, that, that's all you're really thinking about. And so I didn't have control over that. But my second teaching position, I did because I had the experience. I had a little bit of time in. I could, you know, make some more strategic decisions about where I wanted my career to go. I would say the same thing for HR professionals, for anyone listening. That piece of advice was was definitely good for me. Um, and and I would I have one more thing that I would offer. I have a stop and a start. So I would say in 2022, 
HR professionals should stop setting expectations that because you are remote, work doesn't stop at five. If we were still in the office, people would leave the building at five and no one would be calling you at seven, eight, nine, 10 to ask you a question because you had left the building. I think that is something that people need to stop expecting everyone to be available in their jobs post the time that they're supposed to technically be there. Obviously, there's some flexibility there, right? I mean, flexibility is the name of the game, and it doesn't mean that you can't every once in a while, you know, tap into someone and say, hey, are you available right now? But to expect people to be on 24 hours a day just because they're working from home is not the way to go. That is not an inclusive and valuable priority for anyone. Um, I also think that it is, it's somewhat insensitive and it doesn't get to the heart of why we go into a profession that deals with human beings that have choice. So that's one. And then I said start. So my start uh, for 2022 is start examining skills and qualifications more openly, thinking about potential rather than minimum required qualifications. So example, you get an application and you have these rigid set of qualifications and skills that you're looking for and you get an application and the person's background has in it, let's just hypothetically say it's a sales position. They've only been in sales maybe for one year. So they don't have a ton of experience specifically in that sales market. And then they come in with an application. They were a, an airline uh, stewardess or steward for four years, let's just say. Start thinking about, well, you might see that and go, why is this person from the airline industry trying to apply for this tech sales job? It makes no sense to me. Maybe think about how that person who was the airline steward, stewardess, was nothing but a salesman for four years because they were selling an experience. Can you imagine how good you have to be to sell happiness on an airplane in 2020? Like you, you've got more knowledge, skills, and experience than any salesperson likely and how that can apply to where you are now. It's like, so just start opening up about the potential over the requirement start thinking about that differently because that that also is how you're going to diversify your business. It's not just about what you see. It's also about what's inside your head. That's so smart. I, and I love that, Amy. That's that's really fantastic. So thank you for sharing that. So before we wrap up here, I do want to give you an opportunity just to plug anything you're excited for in your personal career or what's going on with Paycor. Do you have anything you want to share with our audience? Sure. I know Paycor would want me to share. Um, so I will say really exciting. Like, like I said, in the beginning of the call, started this job about a year ago, it was 14 months. I started in October of 2020. Before we started, there was no focused, intentional, like hired person doing the work. Really cool in October of this year. So one year, almost to the day, we were recognized as a top workplace in DEI practices um, and received the award for DEI practices, which is really amazing. I tell people all the time, it is not because we hit the pinnacle. It is, it, I called it the most improved award. <laughs> you know, we've, we definitely have a long way to go, 
but we are taking the right steps to make permanent change, which is what the most important part is. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about um, moving forward after we set our foundation, which I talked about earlier. We, we took the whole first year to really make sure our business was knowledgeable, had the supports and the foundations and learning before moving forward. And now we're really focusing and building on our talent acquisition plan at Paycor. And what that looks like is specific targets that are built into the company-wide, not mine, but the whole company strategy uh, to build and diversify our positions and pipelines of leadership uh, so that that will then eventually organically start to change the face of the company as a whole. As a result of just having this be a job, a person, a thing inside of Paycor, our ethnic diversity increased by 3% in the year. Um, we had a 10% increase in ethnic minority hires in the year. We had um, an increase of, I think it was 6% women in leadership in the last just six months. So it's, and, and we have, we literally just started the talent acquisition plan three months ago. So it just goes to show when you have conversation, when you make it intentional, when you make it a priority and the leadership is behind it, it it'll change because it's, you're focusing on it. It's the same reason we have bias. You know, I use the example when you want a new car and you've, you've decided on what car you want. So my next car I've decided is going to be a BMW X5. So now all I see on the street is a BMW. But before that, I didn't see BMWs because I wasn't, that wasn't in my brain. I was thinking about, you know, Honda Pilots or, you know, another type of car. And I would see those. Same thing here. When you're thinking about it, you actually unintentionally start doing the work um, without even realizing it. And so I think if you're really at the beginning, my best advice is start talking about it. And then after you've talked about it for a little while, stop talking about it and start doing something about it. Cause that's where people I think get caught up. So I would say, yeah, I'm really excited about the work Paycor is doing. I'm even more excited that we have uh, executive leadership that is 100% bought in. They always, whenever I go to them, they might have a lot of questions. <laughs> we might have to, you know, change some things, but they've never said no, not one time. And so I think that that is, has been such a great thing about Paycor. We're being real about where we are. We're being transparent. We're not pretending to be the best uh, in terms of DE&I right now because we're in the middle of our journey and it is a journey and it never stops. So um, I would just say it's been a really cool experience. I'm honored to be doing the work and excited to continue doing it moving forward. That's great. And, and congratulations on that recognition, too. That's really impressive in such a short amount of time with being with the group, too. Yeah, yeah. One year. We'll keep it moving. All right. Awesome. Well, Amy, before we close out, I'd like to ask my guests, what motivates you in the morning? You wake up, feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you going to start your day? Um, it's two things. So this is the bad part about being like, I'm one of those people that's never black and white. I can never make just one. <laughs> so I'm always in the middle. So it's two things. Uh, one is knowing that when I get up in the morning, I'm doing everything I can to make the world better. It sounds cheesy, but I'm, I'm doing everything I can to fight all of the isms. And, and it's, it's literally in my bones to want to make that different because every person in this world has the right 
to exist and without judgment of their own decisions for their own life. And, and that's all I'm trying to do in, in this work is make sure everybody feels valued. So that's number one. Uh, the second piece that motivates me is my kids. Uh, hands down, I have two boys, uh, 14 and 10, and they are boys of color. Uh, but aside from that, just <laughs> living to make sure that their lives are better uh, doing everything I can again to make to to show an example of what it looks like to be humane to others um, means that I'm impacting two individuals to do the same um, and hopefully exponentially grow that as they grow up. So those are the two largest motivating factors for me is um, hoping to fix the world one one person at a time and <laughs> and hoping to. Uh, influence these two boys uh, to do the same thing. That's a great motivator. Amy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing just your great insight and your outlook for 2022 with our audience. I'm sure they'll enjoy that as they're preparing and coming up with their plans for 2022 and how to make change in their world. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.